BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. CEOs are in the business of making decisions, and it's the outcome of those decisions that define their success. Hi, I'm Sam Reese, CEO of Vistage. For more than 65 years, we've engaged with more than 100,000 executives on this twisting leadership journey that we call a life of climb. Join me on a Life of Climb podcast to hear firsthand stories from CEOs about the challenges they've overcome and the lessons they've learned along the way. Listen to a Life of Climb wherever you get your podcasts or at Vistage.com slash podcast. Hello, friends. Welcome to Unsiloed, the show that busts the echo chambers. If you dig hearing opposing perspectives about big issues from a point of mutual respect, if you like debate, but love light, not heat, welcome home. Did you hear about uh, Groupon? And um, Groupon, and who else was it? Uh, oh, I forget the second one. I'll, I'll find it in a second. But did you hear about their layoffs today? Mm-mm, I did not. They laid off uh, five hundred. No, they laid off uh, five hundred employees, which is about fifteen percent of their uh, global workforce. Um, and then there was another pretty significant one, which I can't recall right now at the second. But it's like one in a long line of a lot of these companies uh, that have been, you know, laying people off. Mm-hmm. Very kind of like, you know, tech companies, media companies, that kind of thing. Um, and of course, Amazon just last week, a hundred thousand employees got got cut. And then, of right. course, Google and Facebook and all these yeah. folks kind of slowing, slowing their hiring. It's um, interesting out there right now for apparently for, mostly for young professional white collar uh, positions. Well, yeah, I mean, we kind of talked about this, right? I think a lot of the market is starting to uh, it was so hot for a while. And, and I think combination of the market being very hot and also as people get desperate to find roles, they're overpaying for roles. And overly accommodating, I think, for people in general. So it was very much an employee market uh, in 2020 and 2021. And I think now you're seeing the readjustment of that. So Apple, Carvana, Coinbase, Gemini Trust, Lyft, Meta, Microsoft, Netflix, Niantic, Oracle, Peloton, Redfin, Rivian, Salesforce, Shutterfly, Spotify, Tesla, all of these brands, Twitter even. Have either had hiring freezes, layoffs, or deep cuts mm. over the course of the last thirty days. Yeah, I think it, it ties somewhat into what we're going to talk Did you about. Say today. Uh, Amazon as well. Or no? Yeah, Amazon was the most significant one. That was yeah. last week. They had a hundred thousand uh, folks that they laid off, and then Robin Hood, the famous financial yeah, platform, yeah. laid off a quarter of its global staff yeah, last week. Well, as well. Right. Amazon was one that I don't know if you recall, but we were talking about that for, for a while. They were in a crazy hiring spree. Just uh, there's some people that I've COVID known related. Yeah, like yeah. In the, for the last two years, there's some people that I know that got that were either being recruited or got hired by Amazon uh, in the last in the last two years, and 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 then hearing to some folks that are there internally is is I think it got it became a little bit of, of a mess. Some people to try to onboard. LinkedIn has a layoff tracker. You oh, really? this? Literally, no. I found it today for the first time. It's like they literally track all of this layoff information. It seems to be pretty squarely focused on the kind of tech and yeah. And uh, I think whatever. it's a market Innovation adjustment. Space. Yeah, I think it's a market adjustment. It needs to get uh, brought back to uh, to reality a little bit. So bubble, maybe a little bit. Or? I think so. Yeah, for yeah. sure, for sure. Yeah. Well, I, I bring that up as a starting point only because what we're going to talk about in our deep dive has a lot to do with corporations and some of these very same corporations that have found themselves in difficult situations. Not so much because of economic downturns, although they are related but more about um, their position on social and political issues. Mm-hmm. So there, as, a, as a point of inspiration, you and I shared um, a Newsweek article that came out on the 3rd of August. So we're recording this on the what, 9th, 10th? What is it today? The 9th. The 9th. So it came out six days ago. Mm-hmm. And the title of the piece says, As woke businesses face right-wing wrath 
culture war capitalists cash in. And I thought that was like a really interesting dynamic, yeah. right? Um, and the piece, we can dive into this in a thousand different ways, but the piece specifically starts out by um, telling the story of Jeremy Boring. Um, <laughs> and uh, as, his, as, as his name might imply or might suggest, he's actually, at least in this uh, uh, ad spot that I'm going to mention, anything but Boring. But Jeremy Boring, if you don't know that name, is the CEO of The Daily Wire, famously a digital media kind of startup for the conservative set. Right, so it has people like... Um, uh, ben Shapiro and Matt Walsh and uh, Candace Owens and folks like that. Mm-hmm. So it's very millennial, very kind of digital, and it's a essentially like a new media company, right? So this guy um, obviously runs a media company, and there was a moment in this uh, uh, in this sort of timeline that I'm about to go through really quickly. I guess it was back in March when Harry's Razors, the you know kind of like delivered to your home razor mm-hmm. kit business yanked its ads from the daily wire news site over what it called quote inexcusable views and mal- values misalignment and so uh this guy jeremy boring who's the ceo ends up basically launching his own line of razors uh just a few months the ago most petty move ever which i love that i, it, I love <laughs> It definitely is a trolley move, and if you think about it, I mean, yeah. I guess you can make somewhat of a case to launch merch as part of your media company, but it's not necessarily branded to your media. It's like it's, no, this, it's, is, it's, this is a direct-to-consumer product that is completely unrelated with their company. Correct. And 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 so anyway, he launches this, and maybe even in a way as a as a kind of a goof or a troll, at least it seemed like that um, initially. But the thing that I find really interesting is the kind of success that he's seen, which basically shows some of the pent-up demand around these kind of positions, and I think it's a good place to start. Jeremy's Razors end up, ends up doing remarkably well. In just a th- three days from its launch in March, the Twitter account for this brand had accumulated 35,000 followers. Now, Jesus, that's 3,000 more than Harry's, the Razor that it was actually protesting, had gained in 12 years. And within two months of this new brand being launched, they'd sold 63,000 shaving kits, and the raising biz- razor business was actually growing faster than the Daily Wire itself. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so you go out, you kind of do this thing, and there's this crazy video that you and I have both seen. I'll let you describe it, but that was yeah. the advertising campaign for this. You know what? The For those of you who haven't seen this, it looks like the original uh, Harry's uh, – what was it called initially? It was Dollar a, Shave Club. Dollar Shave Club. It's basically a parody of the original Dollar Shave Club. It was done almost – not frame for frame because they, they changed the content, but it was very much in the style where the guy is walking and talking and making ridiculous claims as he's walking and talking. But it's like you can't stop watching it. It's like watching there's like kind of a train wreck, but a funny train wreck that is happening and, and it's very ridiculous, but at the same time pointing out um I think making a very strong case for the brand that they're trying to communicate and then more importantly the identity of the kind of people that they want to be connected with. So in just uh seven weeks, this video, which was the launch of their ad campaign, had been viewed twenty one million times. And to your point, it kind of featured featured all these tropes, right? Scantily, scantily clad women, <clears throat> excuse me, burly security officers, a flamethrower, a bald eagle, a little girl shaving, and a parody of a homoerotic moment, in quotes. Um, and it also takes, in this ad, it takes shots at Gillette, who ran an ad in 2019 that featured a father helping his transgender son to shave for the first time, and all these other things, right? So it really is, it's like very metatropy. It's like all the things that you would that maybe somebody who has a stereotypical image of what folks mm-hmm. might believe, they, ta- they basically embrace all those things. And, you know, it's kicked off this whole new business, essentially, for them. Mm-hmm. This Newsweek piece then goes on to say, like them, there's been a whole host of other things, right? Like Black Rifle uh, Coffee Company, which I think we've talked about be- mm-hmm. before. It mentions the Truth Social application. It mentions all these other different bodies and companies that have kind of grown up around this market opportunity, I guess to put it that way, around rebellion against companies deemed as being woke. Mm -hmm. And so I just thought it was a really interesting subject to talk about, um, both in terms of how how these companies are responding, whether or not there actually is a marketing market opportunity, is it a flash in the pan, and what it says about this kind of evolving conversation. So that's our our topic for the day. Yeah, and and there's a lot to unpack here on on this conversation. It it was, (laughs) for for those of you who haven't seen it, like look it up. 
Jeremy's Razors. It's a hilarious, hilarious uh, video. And I think regardless of where you stand in the political spectrum, just just see it from its marketing genius of how it was how it was done. Yeah. And I thought it was really smart. I like once again, it, the launching a whole company out of spite, I think is kind of hilarious. And the fact that it was so successful, I think it, it speaks to a number of things. One is, let's start with just the category. The fact that what people like Dollar Shave Club and now Harry's and all these other companies kind of realized that there was a clear market opportunity around the whole razor industry um, and the level of product that could be made at a bunch better quality or comparable qualities and really going that direct-to-consumer route. I mean, that's what I thought Dollar Shave Club was really good at. Uh, they, sort of form- they, they sort of figured out that formula pretty early on. But what it also did is that I think a lot of their success was so driven by their brands and the way that they communicated and less by necessarily the distinguishable part about the, co- the actual product itself. I think mm. it's, a, it's a situation where you have a product, which are razors, that – at this point, a good razor is kind of in line with any other good razor. Like right. there just isn't that much difference between one and the other. So I do think that that whole battle for consumer attention falls around brand identity. We actually have been talking about this recently. We were just on a call earlier. We were talking about that whole the whole notion of like brands need to be are more and more moving towards being lifestyle brands. And what that really means is that a lifestyle brand sort of takes on a persona, takes on an attitude, and. It isn't surprising to me at all that there has been, just as much as there's been a movement, and we saw a lot of this movement, especially born in 2020, a lot of the the Black Lives Matter movement, and really the response to the George Floyd uh, uh, murder, a lot of companies took a very aggressive stance of being much more progressive, much more proactive about their their sort of stance and positions they want to take on around the CSR movement, right, in general, corporate social responsibility, so it doesn't surprise me that you're going to have, as always, a counter movement. People that feel it's too much. Like you're preaching at me all the time. Mm-hmm. This is like, I feel like there's people that are in the camp of uh, of the shut up and just sell good products. Yeah. Shut up and just play ball. Shut up. They just don't want to hear it. A, they don't want to hear it. Or they just disagree with the message. It, and it, therefore, it, it doesn't matter. It's sort of the two shades of the same color. Is mind, there a mind. meaningful distinction in your mind between people and companies? Because the shut up and play is different to me than the shut up and sell travel you know, passages to I think Singapore. I think they're all in the, in the same category. So you view them, you view them the same. I view them very similar because this is it's really about people having people, companies, or companies are people. Look, so much of what we're talking about ends up first being manifested by the CEOs, by the leadership. And to whatever degree they're publicly saying these things, right? They are the representation of the brand. And we've seen the good cases and bad cases where someone, a CEO says something stupid, and all of a sudden, like the whole brand kind of pays for it, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why I see them as very much similar. And there's people that there is, a, I think there is a part of, of, of society, of consumers that are just tired of it. They're tired of so much, everything having to get, you know, having to apologize for everything, everything having to get banned, having to get taken back. The, you were just talking about what was your, your cringe of last week? What well, you were talking about now, the, the the Beyonce song and having to take out the word spaz from it, right? And what was it, Lizzo, I guess? Was Lizzo, Lizzo right? was the first one did it. Yeah. So what's interesting because your response to that is like, oh, immediate cringe for A, the, the inconsistency of taking that out and not doing everything else, right? And I can see that. There's people that are – and this is the thing that you hear a lot of people that are in that sort of camp of not just inconsistency, but they see it as another example of cancel culture. And they just are against all of that. So I think it is super interesting what they're doing because I think it's the realization that for many of these products, it's not about the product anymore. It's all about the brand and marketing and not on specific identity. So I could totally see the case of companies like this one, like Jeremy Razors, are going to continue to grow mm. and get an audience because there is an audience to get. I mean, there's an audience that clearly feels that too much of media, too much of sports, too much of everything, too much of corporations is is – too leaning on, on on political issues that are around uh, culture wars, and they're against it in their own version of culture wars because the reality these are also they're also they're all exploiting culture wars. Famously, they just came from the opposite opposite side of it. Bob Chapek, the CEO of Disney, who initially was sort of non-committal on the Florida legislation that came mm-hmm. to be known as "Don't yep. Say Gay" bill, and then 
came back and said, no, I'm against it. And then now, most recently, they're getting called out by his by actually one, one of the employees, and I think it was the affinity group for the LGBTQ community, correct? Right? Yeah, yeah. The, but they started the pressure, but then the pressure built in other yeah, areas yeah. as uh-huh. well. But the most recent thing from him is him being quoted in one of these like I don't know retreats in Aspen somewhere, saying that um, he wants Disney to basically get out of the politics business. I can try to find the quote. But yeah, it seemed like he had kind of flopped again. The reason I bring Disney up is because, yes, 2020 was a big flashpoint, but I think Disney was a big flashpoint too, like more recently in terms of this kind of like people looking at big examples of of companies and and having that shut up and make a movie kind of moment, right? As opposed to try to teach me something. I did want to, I did want to challenge one thing that you said, or maybe not challenge, but ask you, ask you a question about it. So what I've heard typically from folks on the left side of the fence of the equation is that they feel negatively towards the notion that corporations have a first speech or a free speech right. In other words, this has come up in areas of political donations, right? Like a a company can make a donation to a political party and that's protected under like free speech, um, uh, you know, guidelines or whatever. But I've heard people objecting to this, right? Uh, Nancy Pelosi, other people on the left side of the the equation, arguing that corporations shouldn't have that sort of free speech kind of approach. So if that's true, then why would a corporation be, like you said, people and companies are kind of the same thing? Doesn't that... I didn't understand your question. Sorry, Charlie. Give it to me again. So, well, I'm just saying that in the past, when Mm -hmm. political donations and things like that have come up, right, there's this concept of freedom of speech for corporations. It's also known as commercial speech, and it's a relatively new concept in law, but it's something that in in more recent times has come up. And generally, from what I've seen, people on the left have difficulty with that. They don't believe that corporations should be looked at as having free speech. And what I'm saying is, how does that jibe with what you said earlier about you view the fact that people might say something like an athlete and somebody would say, shut up and dribble, Mm -hmm. and a company saying something, you view those as the same thing. Wouldn't that be conceding that corporations do have in other words do you differ with the the the, the general sentiment from but the, but the general sentiment the being that from the left that they don't they just don't believe in free speech is that no the corporations don't have that so in other words you made the case that companies and people were similar in yeah, this yeah. regard but what when i've seen this used in other contexts it seems like the left objects to the corporation having it being like a person and having those same speech yeah, rights. If I wanna, if I wanna maybe, maybe, maybe let me try to attack a, couple, a different way, which is if I wanna frame the free speech topic in, through its caricatures that either side paints on the on the other side, mm-hmm. I would say that the right will paint the left as being anti-free speech, and the left will paint the right as wanting to just promote racist speech or or speech that hurts people in one way, one way or the or the other, and that there is a need like some level of regulation, right? Mm-hmm. In both those cases have have levels of truth to them, I would say, right? And levels of falsehood, but they both have there's there's levels of truth and falsehood in, b- in both of those. Having said all that, I guess to me it makes no difference because at the end of the day, corporations, just as individuals, what they say matters, what they say has impact, and the impact, whether I agree with free speech or not, has nothing to do with the fact of how people may feel about what that person or company or athlete said, and whether it's enough for that consumer to want to do something something about it, mm. right? That's really what it comes down to. Like, look, there's a lot of people right now that are that are very much, uh, to your point, uh, people that are very in the anti-religion camp, right? You're people, people that are generally now. Are these all people that never go to like businesses that are that are religious? Right, we 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 start thinking about uh, what's it called the the chicken place, um, Chick Fil A, Chick Fil A, mm-hmm. right? Or here, or out here in in, in L A oh, with uh, their spicy chicken sandwich, or out here in L A with In and Out. In and Out literally has a a uh, like a little phrase, a little quote uh, from Bible the Bible verse. in every single one of their I think their cups, right? Forever Twenty One did too. The, the That's my point. Is like sword. so are, are these people like are they all? Man, I'm sure that some they are. Them like I would never you know basically you know support support that business. Yeah. But there's plenty that don't, right? So I think with all of this, it just comes down to whether or not whatever stance that company's taking, whatever the stance that CEO or someone in the leadership is doing, whether or not it has an impact on how consumers actually view that product and whether or not they want, they want to you know buy it more. To me, this whole article, which is really interesting, is that just like there has been a lot of positive support 
from from consumers who do believe that corporations can make a difference. And we've looked at the studies before, right? Not only do consumers think that they they should, they actually believe that the the, the, the that impact, they can that they can and that it will make a difference, right? Just because just just as you have that, you also have the opposite side of the aisle, which is like I'm just tired of all this stuff. I'm just tired of all the everything having to like kind of like walk around on on uh, on, uh, on on around glass, right? Like everything's gonna gonna shatter. And I can totally see a case, which is what just happened, where we have that anti-woke movement, that people have a clear identity, and people that are going to benefit from that. But I think the part that I'm just, where I see that I was very skeptical, and let's not pretend like both of those are not capitalizing on culture wars. They are. Yeah. They're, and just, taking, they're that, just taking the different, the different stance on that's it. That's the point that the piece is actually making. And w- there's a quote in it that, that I think helps enforce what you just said, which is from one of the analysts that's actually quoted in the piece. It says that firms and brands are making polarizing bets. The initial stage of corporate activism is coming from the left, and now there's pushback from the right. Mm-hmm. Are companies gaining more from the left or losing more from the right? That's their current debate. And it, 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 you know it's interesting to me because um, like, what does this mean moving forward? Like the stats that you just referenced, the fact that mm-hmm. people believe brands can make a difference. Does that continue to be the case? Or do you get with brands the same kind of gridlock that we see now in government at some point? Yeah. If you've got these two opposing parties. Well, it's not that because at the end of the day, brands are not making decisions in most cases around policy, right? That can move forward. A brand doesn't have to work with the other brand that is that has a different stance. I think it all comes down to how much market share can you have as a brand, depending on what position you actually take. And are you better off having a brand that has an identity that stands for something, even if that's something some people don't agree with, than a brand that is fairly neutral where everyone feels okay going to it? Right. That's why the Disney example is a really good example because Disney is so multifaceted, first of all, right? So people, you know, so I think most people maybe connect the dots the fact that you have a lot of different things, the theme parks, the movies, the characters, right? Like the massive library, the OTT offering, like all of those things, right? But I think depending on how you experience Disney, you may have a very different perspective of what Disney is and what that experience is like. Um, so the more that they take a more defined I stance agree. to one direction, it could be potentially, but it could actually hurt them. I'm sorry. Or it could be beneficial. I don't know. I mean, this the part that is not clear to me, and I was actually trying to find some data about this, but like, what is that? How big is that group of, you know, you have the extremes, you have the very left and the very, very right, or the very liberal, the very, very conservative, but it's really not about those people. It's, I think it's more about the folks that are in the middle. I do think that if I was to make a prediction and where this is going, one is I don't see any case where brands moving away from having a lifestyle brand where that isn't an important element of who they are. So having some persona of what they represent, I think, for? I think is important. Now, having said that, the kinds of issues, the areas where they're going to step into, like, ah, we're just going to we're going to do what you told me the other day. I'm going to let that one, that bus right, right on through, right just on right through. on through, right? You may, get, you, get, you may get some of that. Right, where they just are a little bit more tentative some of the things they want to jump in on. Having said that, I I do think that you're gonna have and I hope this actually happens, is a bigger group of people that are in the middle that start getting a little bit tired of both of them. Mm. Right. That this whole all these companies that are many times like really leaning into culture wars as part of what they're doing that are making things worse, not better, that will want to like will get turned off by 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 you know by by, by some of these companies. Mm, and I hope it happens that actually pulls them a little bit closer to not be as so to the edges and maybe a little further in. That's what's giving rise to one of the pieces that we covered in our newsletter this week of the new political party, Forward, which is this idea of people yeah. just basically sick of both of the extremes. Yeah, kind it's of Andrew Yang, yeah, way. Effort, yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, the one thing, though, about what you said is I do think that you need to de-average with these companies and how mm-hmm. you think about them moving forward. I think that it is really reasonable, based on where we are today, the methods of communication, technology, et cetera, that having a more defined, narrower, more persona, more personality is a truth of marketing in 2022 that continues to advance. I, th- I think you have to get more narrow. I think yeah. that's true. At the same time, the de-averaging is who is doing that? Because in the case of Disney and why I think brands are different than people is that when you speak out as a brand, you're – by inference or association or whatever, you're bringing a lot of other constituents with you who support your brand and say, yeah, that's my point of view too. If they happen to agree with it, great. Right, right. If they happen to not, they're going to go, well, then I'm just not with you anymore. Yeah. So I do think it's a little bit different in the that's sense the that That's the passing act. Yeah. 
Yeah. That is absolutely the balancing act, for sure. But this whole idea about having more niche offerings, for sure. What's going to get kind of funny and interesting is, like, the more you kind of go that direction, like, I'm really looking forward to seeing, like, who are the Match.com of all these different products? And what I mean by that is, like, the Match.com that is a master brand, then it has, like, 30 different offerings for every single yeah, <laughs> flavor you want, right? Black, like, black every single and, one, yeah. right? Like, like. I think the same thing that happened with a lot of these other brands, which is like you're gonna have corporations that are holding companies that are just realized, hey, like yeah, we can that's play fine. both sides of the we equation. We got the Make America Great Again, sure. awesome. We got the whatever I don't know what the what, uh, what's the yeah the AOC brand, yeah whatever whatever, whatever yeah. it is, right? Mm-hmm. Like let's say we got, you know the socialist brand, mm-hmm. awesome. We got that and everything in between. That reminds me of what was the company that that, that had a I think it was, oh it was Verizon and Hearst came together to build a kind of an affinity uh, mm-hmm. approach where. They were going to try to do what you just said, which is like, let's invite, they had that uh, rated red brand, which was like conservative oh, yeah, young yeah, people, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. they also had like the sort of urban, Sure, they're playing both sides of the fence. The other thing that it reminds me of, and I've made this example before, but it's always worth repeating, the company that makes radar detectors and the company that makes radar guns for the cops is the same company, <laughs> Bell Laboratories. They literally play both ends That's of the called spectrum. Call win-win, baby. It's win-win. Winning, yeah, exactly. literally winning. So yeah, why wouldn't you want to invest yeah. in yeah. in in you know kind of both of these different realms? I mean, that might actually make some good some good uh, business sense. Your question though of like what actually wins out and whether or not you have enough people in the middle to like say enough of both sides. Right. I don't know if this is evidence to it, but in this piece, I don't know if you have it in front of you, but Uh they put, um, they have a graph, a graphic towards the bottom of the article. Oh yeah. yeah, And the graphic is basically, apparently there's actually been a a, a fund or a group, right? uh, Which is called the American conservative values exchange. Well, sorry, the American Conservative Values Exchange Traded Fund. That's what it's called. And it's basically a basket of S&P 500 companies minus the ones that conservatives just think are too liberal to support, right? So mm-hmm. basically what they did is they is they um, pulled 5,000 investors who participate in that fund and asked them to name the most woke companies. And then they measured the performance of those companies relative to the S&P 500. <clears throat> and, and they're all listed here in this article, right? right? right so number right. one that the it got the most woke votes right by these conservative investors number 1 was disney right its year to date performance which is, is kind of hilarious though in my it mind. is it yeah, is it's definitely it's not that's like very flash in the pan it's definitely flash in the pan i agree with you yeah, but yeah. but anyway its performance year to date is 30 is -33.7% right year to date right. performance mm-hmm. and then it goes down and lists meta alphabet blackrock twitter amazon starbucks nike and target I'm sorry, and Coca-Cola, and then um, the, the 11th one, which is not in the graph, but is mentioned, is Netflix. Those are the top 11 right. most woke companies. All of them are negative year-to-date performance, but so is the S&P 500 negative. Now, you can then look and see how much more negative are these companies, and some, most are more negative than the S&P 500. Some are not. But this is a way, I think, of these guys trying to answer the question you just asked, which is, yeah. are we, is the fact that you're attaching yourself to these things hurting your business? Right. Well, I mean, I think when I look at this, you know, look at the, all the top companies, media and tech is a big chunk of this. Yep. If we were to do it by industry and then say, just give me all the media and tech industry right now, where that is. If you look at all of the NFT type companies, where that is, nothing to do with wokeness or maybe some have it, maybe some don't. But this is an industry that is getting hammered this year. Uh, I think a lot more than 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 the overall industry. So this is kind of, one of like it's actually a fun one, that, frankly, to track and see what that will look like over the years. I am curious though because when you then go back and look at oh well, how did it do twenty twenty? You know, yeah, a lot of these companies like were very right were very yeah. aggressive in their stance. And with Meta for sure, Alphabet for sure, like all these are very very were they also like significantly negative to the market? I'm gonna guess is the opposite. They were in an all-time high, all of these tech companies, and I think they're going through that 2020, the 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 coming back of that, mm. of, of the pendulum that is that is happening with a lot of the tech companies. Kind of hangover right now. Yeah, for sure. So I think there's some of that. Um, you know, but what was interesting, even you mentioned Black Rifle Coffee, right? The challenge with any of these companies that do really lean into culture wars is that eventually, it, it, I feel like it always comes back and bites you in the ass at some point. Right? Even for Black Rifle Company, I don't know if you remember this. First of all, they just assigned, uh, they just brought in a new chairman for the company uh roland smith as an executive chair who was previously the head of office depot and wendy's ceo 
Um, and they've been kind of embattled a couple of different issues. Like one of them, I don't know if you recall, but the first time I remember hearing a controversy around them, um, and for the, for concerts, for those of you that, for those of you that may not know, we actually were at their uh, a location in Austin. Remember Austin, that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they really first time I ever went. To they one. really lean into like the 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 actual um, lifestyle of of I would say like a military lifestyle in general, right? They have like product line like the blue line something, and and it's it's all has military themes and police themes and the whole. I thought it was remember I kept on telling you like this is really well done. Like, yeah, it is. They've leaned. It almost felt it's like, like Starbucks was, with testosterone. Uh, you, you know what? I want I want to put in a star- maybe okay. The, what I what I thought of is like this reminds me of a themed store in an amusement park. Hmm. Like that's what it reminds me of because it was so hard leaning into it. It's like when you go to Disney, speaking of Disney, and then you walk into the Star Wars store. Yeah, everything is Star you Wars. You got the blue everything milk. You got lightsabers. Like, you got the Jedi outfit. You've got everything is something. It's to all do. in that theme, and they did the exact. That's why I don't necessarily put them at Starbucks, but I think they really were like we're going to be all about this lifestyle and whatever people it pulls in that it's also aspiration people can relate to it and it done really well well when the whole thing happened with uh with the kid uh what's his name kyle um rittenhouse mm-hmm. and he was wearing a black rifle uh coffee shirt and the well, CEO, i didn't know that yeah oh what? yeah the, the ceo when he actually did all the stuff yeah yeah so he he has a piece of picture in his pro- that's it, literally i'm looking i don't know if you have it in there right now but i'm seeing a picture right now where he's wearing the black rifle coffee shirt, oh, yeah. right? Like, and mm-hmm. I think it's when you got—I forget if it was like right after whatever, whatever it was. But the brand came out and says we did not sponsor, nor do we have any relationship with the seventy-year-old facing charges in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Right? That was, and in most cases, you would think that's okay. This guy literally being accused of murdering people. So for a brand to say, "Hey, there's no association. He's wearing our stuff, but we have nothing to do with him." Man, they like they took a beating from the right. For, like, for saying that he wasn't oh yeah, for yeah. not being for not being more supportive of someone right. that took it to their own hands mm-hmm. of like protecting people right mm-hmm. the way the way it was framed it was so bad that the CEO had to go on Joe Rogan to explain himself mm-hmm. like he actually invited him because Joe Rogan apparently is friends with him ended up inviting him to the podcast because he wanted him like to get a chance to yeah I remember this to explain what what, what happened yeah I saw yeah. the the episode and it was like oh man like you're getting you're not getting it from the left it's actually from the right that mm-hmm. is like beating you over 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 this yeah. So, I think I think you're right in the sense that all these things end poorly because And the, I put it like in the same like Lizzo category and Beyonce, like yeah. when you go like way you're progressing, then what happens eventually but you piss off somebody else as well from the same camp. Isn't your argument though kind of against sort of purism, right? The sort of purity test kind of yeah. um approach. For sure. Yeah. yeah. I, th- I think it's that's I think that's the risk that you're running when you lean so hard in one direction with your brand that um Eventually, is not is not pure enough. Yeah, for that, folks in the, in the in that camp, and that's where my big worry is. Like at a meta level, right? If we just zoom out and look at this thing called Earth and this thing called global community that we're living in and trying to not blow each other up in, the part that really worries me is that you've already had. There's enough at stake with political and ideological divides because you've got militaries and you've got weapons and you've got all kinds of things. Now it seems like, and and of course you've got money, but just bear with uh-huh. me. But now, if we find out um, or can prove out that this kind of like polarity is super good for business, like that really worries me. And on some level, you can maybe make that case now, I think right? Because now, Charlie. But I'm talking about on steroids, right? In other I words, I think it's good for politics for politicians wanting to get elected, right? Not, it's not good for the political system. Is is the worst thing for the political system? But I, I think th- it's really good for individual politicians. And I do think you could have made you can make the case now or even ten years ago, but in limited places. I think you can make the case in media. Mm-hmm. You can make the case maybe in technology, but you weren't able to make the case in cereal or sneakers or things like that. And I just feel right. like once we start dumping all that fuel on top of this thing, you know, where does that go? But it's a combination of yes, brands becoming more about identities, right? But it's also about way better like tools for marketing. Now I could target you by lifestyle. Now I could target you by the content that you consume. So affinity like, group. By affinity group. So all these affinity groups become like a great, like it all just optimizes to affinity groups. So is it really that unreasonable to think that just brands will be like, great, then that's what we're all about. It's, by the way, the, the tagline that yeah. I love for, for Black, Black Rifle. Rifle Company is like, uh, they have one, one of, one of their their uh, lines of cup is called Thin Bloom Line, right? Mm-hmm. We were saying that. But they, the way they describe the, the, the brand is... Uh, this isn't coffee for wimps and civilians. Uh, it's tactical caffeination for operators. <laughs> I like that. 
That's strong. That's strong, right? Makes you feel like because in to get because a cup of if you're a civilian, I'm like, I want the you That's know right. tactical combination for stuff. operators. I don't want the civilian stuff. No, I want it's like people who buy it's, you know regular strength who it's buys great. regular strength aspirin. I want the extra strength stuff. Yeah, this is, yeah, this yeah. is it. I thought you were going to tell me their tagline was, "Don't say soy milk." Oh, or sure, like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Remember, remember, we were joking when we were in there. I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna order some like range free latte. You with are, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I want to have some uh, hemp, some hemp milk. At yeah. uh, 87 degrees, yeah, that's not going to go over really well. No, but uh, but but to my point, yes, affinity groups and targeting all that, I, I can see mm-hmm. that. But to me, at least the way that those products were built was as a means to speak more relevantly to a group of people. What I'm saying is now, if we can monetize the tension, right, between these groups across all these different categories, if that becomes now the metric of like, engagement or, or monetization or success. You see what I'm saying? It's yeah. like, but we could always target people who are conservative, people who are progressive. You could do that kind of stuff. And now it's just gotten much better to do that. But yeah. it hasn't been about, let's find those environments that are, you know, high tension, super caustic kind of places because we found that that actually, and it's not just about advertising. It's just in right. general. Right. What are the industries? What are the product types? What are the things that lean into this dynamic of just polarity and tension because we feel we can make a lot of money there like that's what worries me yeah yeah i think you should be worried about that i don't know i don't know what (laughs) to tell you i don't know i don't know what to tell you like i think that is where this is headed unfortunately and it's uh it's sad no at the same time you can say there what are the movements who are the ones that are now countercultural that are Mm. trying to go against the grain and not pushing it to the edges um, maybe one that wouldn't be considered in the in conservative spaces, but what about CNN and their new leadership? I think you know I'm blanking have on the you, guys. Have name. you noticed the the difference? I don't watch CNN, so yeah. I, I I didn't care for CNN before. I don't know if I really care. What care for? Well, it now. I mean, the, I think the metric would be whether or not you can actually care for them now. I mean, because yeah, if, maybe, yeah. yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, but I I didn't really care for them um before, so I I, I don't know. Yeah, but it is interesting. That is a concerted effort. And I'm blanking on the on on this I don't name, know his name right now. either. But the leader of CNN came in and said that he was going to purposely try to pull the Chris company. Chris Licht. Licht. Yeah, thank you. Uh, try to pull the company more towards being about news and yeah. less about, you know, uh, these identity pieces and a lot of what they were doing. I just don't that know if that's going to— one to one narrative. How I are mean, they going to do that and do advertising, though? Because that, 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 doesn't, that doesn't scream to me at impressions. That's the problem. Well, that's that is the issue, right? But maybe that's part of the ways of rethinking the model, rethinking the maybe less about advertising. Now, interesting is that, in some ways, you know, you can say that news would just be a better product if it wasn't, if advertising wasn't part of it, yeah, because it just tends to ruin everything. Uh, but then the way to get consumers to support a brand. I think that's where the identity piece, you kind of go back to the identity piece, right? Like the more I can relate to it. Now, maybe there is in the news area enough of a group of people that are saying, we just want to hear the news. Like we don't want to get, we don't want to like feel like someone's always trying, trying to sell us a different narrative every single time. And instead of that, I just want to get the news. And I think if you get enough of those folks, then that will be sort of what drives it forward for, for maybe a new kind of company. Well, as a case study in that, there's been a number of these, but the one that hit my screen most recently is a company called 1440. I don't know if you've come across this, but Mm-mm. it's it, it goes – the tagline is your impartial, comprehensive daily news source. They scour hundreds of sources so you don't have to. Culture, science, sports, politics, business, and more all in a five-minute read. They've got one and a half million subs. The other one is called The New Paper which is basically like, imagine just like mm-hmm. bullet points. It's like literally bullet points. Right. But none, these are not advertising driven, at least not now. And I think that you need to take the advertising, you need to let that monster out of the, out of the kitchen or whatever in order for you to actually do this because, or, or change the model entirely to be more subscription based. But there's a number of these, you know, we're impartial, we just give you the news. It's kind of like what the AP has mm-hmm. always purported to do, just give you the headline, Right. Right. But we fell away from that because there's a lot of money in the tension. There's a lot of money in the in the getting people fired up, getting them, you know, swatting a hornet's nest. Mm-hmm. That drives impressions. And you and I know because we worked in industries, you sell those impressions to advertisers. How much you think of this is uh, not to blame everything on on former President Trump. But let's do. Let's do. But uh, yeah, I mean, do you think he just got his house raided. So why not? Pile on, Jesus. There you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> By the way, at this point, you know, people always always say uh, crooked Hillary. Do you think that's actually like at this point people start thinking maybe Trump is a little crooked? Yeah, 
Right? Like, you can say, if it's not this, it's something else. Like, you just know it's a guy that you start just digging a little bit. I don't know that that's ever been in question, though. I I don't know. I don't think even people who support him believe. I I think they take him with. Yeah, I do. I mean, in fact, one of his. It doesn't matter. They're like, it makes no difference. Yeah, Yeah. Because even think of the strategy when he was running. It was like, oh, yeah, we know he did all this crazy stuff. But it's baked into the cake. That's the one I heard more often times than not. It's baked, baked into, into the, the cake. cake. It's, it's, it's been the, disclosed. It's or at like, least it's understood. Like, this Maybe not disclosed, but understood. This understood. isn't news. He bankruptcies and he got sued and he makes, you know, it, lawsuits are like, some people study German, he studies lawsuits. You know what right, I mean? Right, right, right. That's baked into the cake. Like, it's a right. big deal. So I think even his supporters would concede that. Um but I do think maybe um, maybe what you're referring to now is um, more like the movement, like him, like he tapped into something, and definitely elevated the amount of heat around oh, the yeah. political d- discourse. He did, and around cultural wars. Oh yeah, uh, very like was so combative with frankly everyone. Like in some ways, to your point, he was very good about engaging press. Went not in not in a, in a White House press because they, they actually shut that down. But in terms of individual interviews, he was good about having people like, interview him because he loves the fight. Uh, and uh, like all of these, some of some of these things sort of definitely feel like offshoots of that for sure brand of 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 um, of politics. You people know? wanted people, a bull in a china shop to just break everything, to throw a grenade into right. a broken system. And they did that. And now to a large extent, we're dealing with the aftermath of that, which is a system that is in total disarray and, you know, trying to put itself back together. Now, what I wonder is, is there a way to, cause he did tap a nerve, right? Yeah. We can all admit that, that there was something under the current people feeling dejected, people thinking immigration was actually a bigger problem than we thought it was all these different things or illegal immigration, I should say. But um, is there a way to tap into those things legitimately? In other words, like, if, if, those, if you and I looked at a report that said, listen, you know, nobody's talking about this, but like 80% of people are really worried about this. It's a, it's a political hot button. Nobody wants to talk about it, but it could be a strategy. And if you happen to believe that in this position, even better. But like, is there a way to tap into that without being so destructive? Because the the alternative would be people just doing what what DC does, which is just talk about crap forever and nothing ever gets done. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. wh- is there a way? But are you referring to from a political standpoint? Or from yeah, a, from a from political a... standpoint. Like, is there a way to say, hey, we recognize these problems exist. These things are not things that say, let's say, my party has historically supported. But I hear you, oh, and I want to do something about it. I think there's definitely a way, and maybe part of the way. Look, we just have. Some pretty big legislation that just got through this week. This week, this on Saturday, maybe right. Uh, uh, specific dealing with climate change and also healthcare reform, right? Um, and specific for folks that are in, um, you know, that are lower income, right? Giving them more options, have, putting national caps on how much out-of-pocket expenses people can take on. Um, uh, they have to take on when they're, you know, obviously they're they're getting a lot of medicine and have like bigger diseases, etc. Which is a really big deal, but that process was like very difficult. How many? We actually talked about the fact that how many times Joe Manchin had sunk it. I mean, everyone at this point knows that, right? But now looking back, I was thinking about this morning. I was on a run. I was listening to they were doing like a recap of it, kind of how it all, it all came to be. And in some ways, of like the question, it was uh, listening to the, the Daily, and the host asked the question. Now looking back, do you think that this is a process that had to happen, or could have been done any different? Right, this process of negotiation, start, stop, renegotiation, start, stop, and the response from the reporter that was covering, like, no, this now kind of feels like that's what it should have happened. As difficult, as painful, but what you do get is is maybe policy that's a little bit more representative of what the entire country could, mm. could get behind, even though none of the Republicans, at least in the Senate, supported it at all because it's like a we're against this, we're you know anything is on the other side of the party, and. So I think there are issues like that. But what is interesting they talked about, and you and I discussed this the other day, which is it does speak to how um, how divided in some ways and how varied the Democrat Party is, right? That you do have these different people. And that's what kind of forces the situation to not be so like extremist, left-leaning, or overly progressive because you do have like people that represent very different groups and they have a lot of power, like Joe Manchin in this case, who's like very much centrist. I think you need more of that. I think the other thing that you need is you need less complicated policy. I would love to see more single issue, literally put a cap on how much you can write about it. I mean, like, we're going to do it as a, you know, a thousand words. 
But then you got to blow up the whole S- system. Single, though, because single the, issue, the a thousand it, words. We can, what do they call packing pork or whatever they yeah, call it, right? Pork, pork packing, because that's how it happens now, though. And have I mean, more votes. That's the thing, too. Like, you have more votes, right? So, you have to show up more often. That'll probably why it won't work. Show up more often, more votes. Get rid of the whole uh, um, what's it called when you need like sixty votes just to just to get it get it to actually to a vote the filibuster the fil- get rid of the filibuster because we're going to pass more laws but we're going to make make them much more simple and they should be framed in a manner that the average person could read them like I think as part of it is like we're going to share this all like on social whatever you can re- everyone can read it we're going to vote it single issue and make it simpler for people for people to actually be able to understand what they're actually voting for and then put push laws through and then people have to hold on have to live on their record. What they supported, what they didn't. And I would love to get rid of the excuse that, oh, it wasn't about this issue that I was voting on. It was about the other 20 things that you guys don't know about that got like dropped in at the last minute. Because there are there, there are parts of truth into that stuff. Like There is have, truth to that. I think you have to go further than that, though, because what you're suggesting would require that the motivations change. And the motivation right now is the reason that a bill gets passed is because I negotiate with people. In other words, I say, I want this. They go, I don't want that. Like, well, what if I give you a little bit of this? Well, you're not giving me enough of that. Give me some more of that, and maybe I'll support right, your right. thing. So you'd have to change that that um, motivation mm-hmm. for the simplicity to take place. And the way to do that, to me, is you know term limits or maybe changing the entire system itself and not making it a career option. Right now, mm-hmm. it's a career option. Yeah. I mean, Nancy Pelosi, <clears throat> I'm just picking on her because she was in the news because of Taiwan, uh-huh. but she's 80-something years old. I mean, do you want to be doing what you're doing right now? Forget about what you're doing. Do you want to be doing what you're doing right now at 82 years old? Recording podcasts? Yes. You do? Okay. Do. Yeah, I'm a, okay, so besides reporting podcasts, <laughs> recording podcasts. Like, <clears throat> yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's this thing about like- term limits. Yeah. There's just something strange. I watched the debates in New York. I don't know if you caught this with uh, Jerry Nadler and another person. And there was like three candidates it. for the New York Congressional District of whatever. Mm-hmm. Really interesting because they actually asked them point blank, should Joe Biden run again? And like- one said no. The other one said, I don't think he's running. And then the other one said, didn't answer, right? But I'm watching these guys. One, the one woman is 79 years old. The other guy is 83. Mm-hmm. And then the other guy who's never going to win is 35. Okay, he's like a you know, kid. entrepreneur. The kid, punk. right? Young punk. He's never going to win. Or maybe he will. Who knows? Another AOC. Yeah. But my point is, I'm thinking to myself, why would you, what would, what would be driving you at 82 to want to keep having that job? It's either total altruism. And I really believe that I'm making a difference and I'm prepared to die in my chair mm. or it's a total power grab. Like it can't be one or the other, in my opinion, realistically. Yeah. Like I just want to show up and do a good bit of work. Like it's not that. Right, 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 right. Yeah, you're right. Do you think you, know, you agree with me? Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. no, I agree with you. I think term limits are really important. I will get rid of term limits. I will get no, rid you of would institute term limits. Uh, sorry, I will, I will institute. Sorry. Yeah, I will institute term limits. Settle down, as you're changing things too fast. I would uh, um, get rid of the filibuster. Um, I think you have to get rid of or completely restructure lobbying. Right, like yeah. the whole thing of, of having politicians that they become lobbyists. Sure. Uh, I would put like a massive non-compete where if you're going to be a politician, there's like all these industries you can't get into after the fact. Like I'm sorry, but that's part of the. Like you want to be, you need to be here for like to create an impact in the country, and then I will also force for policy to have to be much simpler in how it's written and literally put limits on it. I mean, part of the the I know we talked about Twitter sometimes, but part of the beauty of Twitter is that you only have so many characters, right? And it just forces you. That, it forces there, you. There is an to idea. Be, Twitter, like as know, the mechanism to submit your bill, it's like you can't you can't do that's it how through, to do you it. You can't do it through just volume. Just you just solved it. Literally more crap in there. Literally, it's a public-private partnership. It's Congress plus Twitter, and the platform to submit your new bill is on Twitter. It's you have to make it fit in a tweet. Trump, but I see, perfect. He would have been great. Like this is exactly. I'm going to build a pitch either through tweets or truths, depending on where what side of the aisle you're actually. It's a terrible name, by the way, because it's hard to say. Truths. (laughs) Yeah, truths. Like one of those words is just impossible Uh, to say. They they ruin truth. I don't know how that's <laughs> how that's possible, but it happened. Uh, All right, we got we got to move on because you've right. got very very important things to do in about ten minutes. So right. um, let's get to courage or cringe. You ready? Yep. All right, let's do it. So um, I really I fought hard, Jesus. I really tried. Did you did you find a, a courage? No. Oh, I'm so sorry. And I really did try, but I just could not avoid talking about this. You want me to go first? Yeah, for sure. All right. So my cringe for this week comes out of the hollowed halls of Northern California. Mm. And a headline that I came across, I think it was yesterday morning, and it goes something like this. VC billionaire 
and ultra-wealthy neighbors thwart housing in California town. So the story is about the billionaire VC is Mark Andreessen, the okay. founder of Andreessen Horowitz. Right? Uh-huh. Super, I don't know what you call it, blue chip, black chip. At LinkedIn, this point. right? LinkedIn. But, he, but yeah, exactly. But behind a lot of other companies, too. Mm-hmm. But, he, you know, major, major player. This guy lives in Atherton, California, which I'd never heard of. Have you ever heard of Atherton, California? Mm-hmm. little interesting nugget about Atherton, California. Atherton, California has, for the last three years, been the wealthiest zip code in the country. The average home price is $8 million. In the zip code, mm-hmm. $8 million. I just, I was thinking, I was joking my wife, I was like, I wonder what the post office looks like for that zip code, you know what I mean? Or who works there that they have to bus in from some other place. Exactly. So this is the most exclusive, expensive place uh-huh. in the country. And... Mark Andreessen wrote his city council or whatever it is that was mulling over the creation of multifamily overlay zones in Atherton. And he says, I am writing this letter to communicate my immense, immense, in all caps, immense objection to the creation of multifamily overlay zones. He continues that um, there will be a massive, again, all caps, decrease in our home values, the quality of life of ourselves and our neighbors, and immensely, all caps as well, immensely increase the noise pollution and traffic. So he was very much against it. Predictably, this community right. zoning office voted against it. Of course. There will be no multifamily homes or we anyone. We those poor people here. We don't want a- any of that in here. Now, of course, this is, you could cringe it just on the basis of entitled billionaire, right, right, writes right. an all caps thing to his community thing and wins. Right. That's enough. But the thing, the real thing that threw me over the edge uh-huh. beyond that, and just the, the just to me, this moral decay that leads you to a statement like that uh-huh. is the fact that this is a guy who in 2020 wrote this huge op-ed, I think it was like in the Atlantic or something, bitching about how the government had failed and these major urban areas had failed at building, guess what, Jesus, multi-family <laughs> housing. Just don't put any of that stuff uh, in my backyard, is it, isn't, isn't that the whole thing with homelessness? That is oh, yeah, let's, let's, no, these are people. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta solve ours. Oh yeah, so can we set up a shop right? No, 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 no. Slow down. No, maybe, maybe there's a desert somewhere we could put them. There's trains. There's abandoned army bases. Let's Uh, ship them out, baby. So that is unfortunately, I say it with some regret because I did want to come up with a courage. With some regret, that is my cringe of the week on billionaire Mark Andreessen. You got to work on your on your courages. I do. do. You're a cringe all day long. I know it's sad. I I definitely. I don't know. I don't feel that bad about this one. But yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a that's a pretty funny one. I love that. Um, All right, my courage yet again. I'm in a streak, hot streak. It's just much to be courageous about right now. Keep it. Is uh, our boy Alex Jones? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. So he just I, you know it's funny. I thought you were going to do this one. I, uh, I, I was I had a couple to pick from, but yeah. that was but this is a good one. Um, where he end up uh, as I think most people know at this point is um, he was found guilty of defaming parents of the two parents of um, of a young child that died in Sandy Hook Elementary because of the lies that he spread for years, uh, calling it a false flag operation and. Which led to these parents getting harassed, getting threatened online and in person. And it was so much uh, pain that these parents went through, not just the fact that they lost their six year old, but then having to deal with all the aftermath of this and then jackass. Being, being just told being, that that didn't happen. Exactly. Like they're trying all to erase his memory. I mean, so like the crazy. verdict was four million, four point one million compensatory compensatory damages. And then forty five point two million of punitive damages. Now the only thing about those two, so like forty nine million in total, is that Texas does have a limitation on punitive damage. So that more likely is going to drop quite a bit. I think their their limit is like under a million. But that is really only one like sets of parents. I mean, there's everyone else that was also impacted by the by this and and what he did. That I think are now probably looking to if they haven't already, um, sure file losses against them. So this guy's going to be in court for a long time. Is there a reason why that wasn't a class action lawsuit to begin with? I don't know. Uh, Charles, that's a great, great question. Um, you know, I was actually hearing someone talk about this the other day, and they were saying part of the, the the this is really difficult. A lot of times, this kind of punitive is really difficult to prove. Uh, this is where, and this is where you get told in that freedom of speech, like what's freedom of speech versus what's kind of harmful speech. Uh, and the fact that it was done very specific by a by by a parents of these kids, they had I think a lot of examples that they themselves 
personally dealt with because of the lies that he made, because of the claims that he made, that they were impacted by that. So I think that's what made him more come home. I don't know why it wasn't done as a class action suit instead. Yes, the, the other, the other. So obviously, I agree with you. The the other, uh, or I shouldn't say obviously, I agree with you, Jesus, on this one. Mm-hmm. But the other cringe that you didn't talk about, which is equally fabulous, is what happened the with, with the lawyer. <laughs> Dude, I felt so bad for that guy because I mean, on some on some Hilarious. level, on some uh, level, you can't make the mistake of saying because a lawyer is zealously defending their client, which is right, what they right. agree to do, that sure. the lawyer likes them or agrees with them. Like you can't yeah. make that leap. But the fact that this guy sent. Basically, Alex Jones' entire telephone book. Yeah, the, the, text message history. Is his text message history to the opposing lawyer when he only meant to send some stuff. And then was like, whoops. <laughs> and of course, all that stuff becomes immediately discoverable. And they tried to do like a motion to make it not happen, but it didn't work. It was, and it was, it like, was hilarious. Did you see the position of Alex Jones when, when he gets called out on that? I did. It's yeah. like, he's like, <laughs> he's like Ugh. oh, man. Um, it was so funny that I uh, I saw the piece getting shared, I think with New York Times, and I, I put it on my stories, and then I added the music from uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. <laughs> right. It was. <laughs> it was just like yeah. comedy seeing this, yeah. him being called out, and it was like, you know you're lying. Like, how do you know you're lying? Let me let me tell you because you. your lawyer <laughs> sent Completely all of your text messages. messed up and sent me this whole uh, thing. I mean, he just comes out looking terrible, terrible, yeah. terrible, terrible. And then that that becomes then a new thing to get thrown into the conspiracy soup with Alex Jones. Like, oh, now the lawyer was in on. Who knows? You know, where but, that, but let, that me, let me ask a question on that though. Yeah. Like in the whole notion of of free speech versus not. You know, this becomes a case that I, I haven't seen, frankly, what the conservative side of the equation is and how they've covered this. Do they think of it as fair, not fair? Do they think it sets a, a precedent for trying to uh, quiet people's voices? Because for all the things that he got wrong, there has been some things that he does get right, right? So there is that. Um, I definitely seen it from the liberal side. People saying that he should have been the platform and all the things, which he did in some cases, but not from everything. Sure. Right. Yeah. YouTube. Um, mm-hmm. And then I think about how many times this guy's been on Joe Rogan a bunch of times. And it's like, I think he's been on so many times that it now he even talks about like as a friend, someone they're going to, I think oh, this is an episode from last week. And they're like, Oh, we're going to go have dinner with Alex Jones afterwards. And I wonder for a case of, of Joe Rogan, like, and I haven't heard this yet, but like, what does he think about this? Yeah, that'd be a great question. To ask. Like, is this a, is this kind of thing where it doesn't matter? Is free speech free speech shouldn't be shouldn't be sort of controlled anyway? Or is there is there is there a line that can be crossed? We're like, dude, now you've crossed it. Like, this is. I think the, the think ca- about the yeah. the harm that you're creating to these people that lost their child. Yeah, I think that this was, uh, you See know, for, from the purposes of the free speech argument, as sad as it may be to say this, the fact that somebody lost their child is actually not the issue that at least the 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 legal case was predicated upon. But it was more, you know, I think the part that that the conservative side would say, yeah, that just is what happened. Is that this was a sustained personal, long-term, you know, attack essentially using platforms and other means to defame people, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And to basically uh, harm them on uh, really on purpose intentionally. And I think that's where it crosses over from this is my, you know, opinion, et cetera. There's some fine things there, which neither you or I could talk about the deep legal part of it. Mm -hmm. But I think that's the issue where I believe, because what I've heard or seen has been either very little response, like, oh, this thing happened Alex Jones, or, yeah, that should happen Alex Jones, at least that, that I've seen. Because when I see this, it's like, the first thing that comes to mind, like, how do you not then take that and, and look at the situation with Trump and talking about that he won the election and how it was stolen and how many people he's personally attacked in the process and not say, well, what about that? Well, maybe that's what this moral law is like, about. Well, I mean, who knows? No, the moral law raid of what I heard was more to do with um, uh, documents that he took home with him that should have never left the White House. Um, and that and were, I guess, top secret documents or whatever it is, whatever, you know, that the, he can't take with, with There's him. also these pictures of him flushing documents on a toilet. I'm sure you've seen it. Oh, too. yeah. Like with pictures of the toilet, or like the little scribble on there. Got to get rid of it somehow. Nobody's going to go digging there. Are you, uh, I mean, I'm not shocked. Nobody's going to go digging in there for those. So anyways, that's my courage of the week. week. Lovely. One of these days I'm going to have a a cringe just that could be more like you, Well, can you time it for me so I can have my courage at that same time? That would be great. We can be balanced. All right, my friend. Well, you got to go. So anything else for this lovely group of people listening? No, that's it. All right. Well, that's us. Remember, friends, and hopefully this conversation has helped, 
for you to continue to live a life unsiloed. We'll see you again next week. Bye. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash.